Hello listeners, it's Tom here, your podcast host, just popping in before we get started, as always, to tell you about the Patreon. So if you head to patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod, you will find lots of extra episodes of this podcast, in which we look in-depth at particular characters, extended versions of our cast member interviews... Our Waterloo Road Awards, uh, the first half of Series 3, is brand new on the Patreon now. Also look back at other school-based shows, including Teachers and Britannia High. There's loads of stuff on the Patreon. As I say, patreon.com slash waterlooroadpod. I would also like to give a shout-out to our current Patreons. So thank you very much to Joe Buckle, to Matthew Kumar, to Georgia Leah, a.k.a. The Avocado Bath on Instagram and TikTok, to Evan Francis... To Eliza, who is at Multifandom, M-X-L-T-I dot F-X-N-D-C-M. And thank you to Tom Percival. Your support is very much appreciated. And I'll say it one more time. For those who would like to subscribe, it's patreon.com slash Waterloo Road Pod. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about an episode of Waterloo Road. And welcome to the latest episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. I am Tom Beasley, your host and Waterloo Road superfan, and I'm joined by Luke Stevenson, your not Waterloo Road superfan. That's true. That is true. You're not going to break me, world. <laughs> um, so Tom is doing, as the episode begins, some angry party cleanup after uh, what happened at the Kellys uh, the, the previous night. No. I don't think it because I had a huge problem with this and tracking the timeline of this show. Whereas this isn't the night after. No, this, this is well, other I think the, the, Yeah, the suggestion is they're they're having parties, they're throwing food around, they're throwing bottles around. It's general Kelly cleanup, I guess. Yeah, it's, but like I was really struggling with the fact that what I imagine you're going to allude to is that Maxina Earl and Earl are found outside on the sofa yes and i was like but last time we saw them at the end of the last episode they went upstairs how did they get out to the sofa was their love making so intense <laughs> they forced the sofa out of the window and then but then i was like no no that doesn't make sense and then later in the episode they explain it's been like a week or whatever since that party but then i'm just like so their love has progressed to the point where they now just willingly have sex outside the house like the suggestion is that they spent the whole night together outside on the sofa when Earl's mum doesn't mind them being in the house. What's happening here? I feel like as well, the idea of a sofa slash fridge in a front garden is very naughty's depiction of working class. Yeah, it it's is. like a it's like a sort of shorthand that I'm not sure really exists in real life. Maybe a bit, but not to the extent. Like Waterloo Road would have you believe that every working class person has a sofa in their front garden. Yeah, totally. And like, but why would like at what point does a person have a sofa in their front garden? Well, that's like, it. when does that become a thing? Now we know about the Kellys. We know they don't have enough money to buy two sofas. If they have a sofa, it's in the house. Where's yeah. this second sofa? Oh, this sofa is dispensable to us. We don't need it. It can sit in the garden for Earl to have sex on and sleep on for some reason. That's the front garden shagging sofa. It's got a very specific purpose. No one wants to sit on it now. <laughs> yeah. 
maybe maybe we're more working class than the Kellys. We don't have front garden shagging sofas. I don't even have a back garden shagging sofa. I don't have a back garden. I was going to say, I don't have a front garden or a back garden. Um, <laughs> so We have grounds. The, the musical choice I wanted to talk about, because it's SOS by the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> so good. This is the highlight of this episode. I want to just say right now that people, people who like this episode or people who may have got frustrated by us doing down on series three, buckle in because this episode is a horrific hour of television. <laughs> it is so bad and it peaks at Jonas Brothers SOS. I had, yes. I remember like three Jonas Brothers songs on my iPods when I was at school. One was SOS. I think the other one was Burning Up. I can't remember what the other one was, but then the other one, which is a, a certified great song, is Play My Music from Camp Rock. That is a fantastic <laughs> song. Tom, you're looking at me like you haven't watched Camp Rock. I haven't watched Camp Rock. I'm going to be honest with you. Bloody hell. Bloody <laughs> hell. Again, this man watches a different movie every week from a different part of the world different languages, everything, black and white, all of that stuff, but he hasn't seen the foundations of our society and culture, which is camp rock. Demi Lovato was no way about that movie. Don't you ever forget it. <laughs> um, so yeah, they use that song to segue to the school where they are running a breakfast club. Uh, Mel is in charge on the staff side. Janice is doing this weird thing where whenever there's something that needs to be supervised, like the crutch or whatever, apparently that's her job. Um, so we were both we were both were six formers. Um, yes. No, you went to college, didn't you? No, I had a six form. Okay, yeah. So we were six formers. Did that get? Did that mean that we immediately got unbridled power over all of the people beneath us? Because Janice seems to Janice seems to immediately be like, right, I'm now in a position of power by my virtue of being a six former. Whereas I got none of that. No, I suppose I hadn't hit puberty yet by the time I was in sixth form, <laughs> so no one was giving me. No one would ever look to me as a symbol of authority of any kind. But still, this is just, I feel like I lost out all, on all of my power grabbing. Yeah, I think they just, all just assumed you were in year seven from the moment you got there to the moment you left. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mel decides in her infinite wisdom to leave Janice in charge, um, at, at which point a food fight obviously breaks out almost immediately in a way that has never happened at an actual school in real life. Like, I... My note is just food fights look so rubbish. <laughs> Could you imagine a single human being enjoying being part of a food yeah, fight? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I could imagine maybe if you're wearing like those kind of like those white overalls with a hood, and it was like an organized food fight. Do you like the kind of the, the paint bomb fight in 10 Things I Hate About You? Mm. No, it's 10 Things I Hate About You? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 10 Things I Hate About um, You. Yeah. When they're like, I can imagine that. An organised fun food fight, perhaps, maybe, but just one of these. Like these kids have to walk around in these clothes all day. Like I used to remember, like my worst days at school was when I got wet socks in the morning. That was like, <laughs> oh, my whole day is gone now. It's ruined. It's over. And these kids are having a breakfast club food fight, and then being like, all right, lads, let's crack on with the day. <laughs> yeah, very much so. It's very strange. Um, so we go to the staff room. Grantley is still wearing the wig. I, I can't believe it's going on this long, but apparently it is. No, I, maybe the show is trying one of those like family guy dead frog things. That's like, if we keep doing it long enough, it'll become funny again. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure it was that funny first time. And now no. it's just like, I just can't believe an adult man walk around like that. No, 
No, he's still doing it, and everyone stopped commenting on it. So apparently, this is just here to stay for at least a while. I I don't remember from my experience of watching the show this ever happening. So <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to go on for. Every week is a surprise, quite frankly. <laughs> is it? I haven't been paying enough attention to the opening credits. Is it in the credits? Because I know that he and Matt get a synchronized head turn, which I'm a big fan of. The head turn deserves more respect. But I don't know whether he has hair in the credits. Let me find the episode. I'm going to check. Yeah, um, Grantley does not have hair in the trailer. He has he has quite a lot of natural hair that's slicked back. Did you just say that? Yeah. But yeah, so it's. Uh... I I I was watching yeah you know, this episode and the next one, and it feels like natural hair is growing in. Like, Grantley actually has more natural hair in this series than at any yeah. point that he's ever done. But this is the time where he's gone, I need a wig. <laughs> uh, so Grantley is, is claiming that he can't cover this class that needs covering because he's on his spare free time or whatever. And he, he it, it's his designated time, union, union, blah, blah, blah. Um, Davina agrees to, to cover the lesson. And it's mentioned that she's going to be working with this... Uh, this new supply teacher from New Zealand called Maka. Yeah, and Rachel describes him as a bit of a character. Now, I know I like to drag up the past, but the last supply teacher who was a bit of a character kidnapped a child. <laughs> like, they need a better screening system for supply teachers. Like, so what kind of crackpot agency is Waterloo Road using? where they get stalkers, kidnappers, and this insane fella. <laughs> so there is a scene where Steph tries to talk Grantly out of wearing the wig. Uh, it passes very quickly. Okay, I got tracked in this scene because they cut, because her and Grantly walking, and they cut to a shot of the security guard staring at them down the corridor. And that image was just so funny. <laughs> it reminded me of, do you like the famous image of um, Ed Miliband about to give a speech? And he's just looking through the door window. <laughs> and he just looks really scared and sad. That's what he looks like. He just stood really bleak and empty. And I just couldn't stop giggling at it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Dante and Chloe have decided they want to sell the house. Um, they tell Tom that he has uh, first dibs on buying it off them if he would like to. Dante has pound size in his eyes, it is fair to say. Like, Chloe and Dante want to move into their own place. Is this series three again <laughs> like i've watched i've watched this happen before and i don't think we went through it enough in series three but it's going to come up a lot from me in the next couple of episodes so i apologize for it in advance but who lets these two children rent they're doing no credit checks on either of them like one of them isn't legally old enough to rent a property. And in this, they're talking about getting a deposit to purchase a house when neither of the, both of them are in school. Dante does not declare his DVD income to the tax man. There is no <laughs> way of them proving any of this. I just, the logistic, I know they want to have a storyline about Clem and Dante moving somewhere, but the fact that none of it would legally be allowed to happen in this country makes me so annoyed all of the time. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Like, I last year, I got turned down for a phone contract because the credit check company had my address slightly wrong. If that is enough to prevent me getting a phone contract, no one is letting these people get a mortgage, surely. Maybe this is, maybe, like, what we're actually seeing here 
is a setup to the fight like the housing market crash of 2008 <laughs> and when we when we go oh how could that have happened and it was like because they gave 18 year olds about jobs like flat like mortgages <laughs> that's the, the scene in the big short they don't show you is like two 18 <laughs> year olds with a house in Rochdale <laughs> so uh Tom immediately uh dobs Maxine into Steph says that she was with Earl on the shagging sofa <laughs> Um, rather than staying at theirs, which is what she told Steph. Davina's classroom, she's doing a PSHE lesson about stereotypes. We get some very uh, interesting inside-the-board camera. Did you notice that? When she's writing stereotypes on they the board. They use that a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Like, they clearly, they clearly this week had access to, like, see, like a see-through plastic way of yeah. filming it, because they use this shot twice. <laughs> and it's just like, all right. Someone, like, basically, someone was driving this through to one of the BBC's more high-end shows. Yes. And they're like, oh, why you have it here? I want to use it for these two shots. <laughs> yeah. The high, high line of duty. Can we borrow your plastic screen for the next hour? <laughs> so we see Steph telling Maxine off. Uh, Maxine says, oh, I can handle myself uh, with, uh, with Earl. Um, at this point, the supply teacher arrives, and he's very complimentary to Steph. There's a scene back at the um, in the cafeteria where they're sort of dealing with the aftermath of the food fight. Um, Rachel is understandably very angry at Mel for just leaving Janice in charge, uh, or, or as she puts it, abandoning Janice to the mob. <laughs> yeah, both fair. <laughs> Eddie is storming around the school as he usually does. I I started noticing this in these episodes. I, I assume it's always been the case that Eddie storms around with his shirt hanging out of his trousers. He looks like he's like been surprised while having an affair or something. He just looks, he looks so, he looks so unkempt for a teacher. <laughs> shirt out of the trousers is a legitimate look. Not every man who wears a shirt out of his trousers is having an affair. <laughs> but you know what I mean? If you're a teacher and it's like, there's a, there's an acceptable le- length for that shirt to be. If the shirt's outside the trousers, it can't be like a long shirt. If you have a long, like a dress shirt almost, hanging out of the trousers, then you just look like you're doing something dodgy. Um, I, I remember this one shirt I bought and I was like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I do have a 23-inch neck. I really don't. That's and massive. 23 <laughs> <laughs> And then obviously, because that was the only size reference I had, I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to go large so I don't feel too, like, I don't feel like anything's too clingy. And it was so long. It was so long. So, like, 23 inch neck is like the rock. Like, (laughs) (laughs) although, I will say, that's a thing that no one teaches you growing up. Oh, I have no idea how big my neck is. And when I look at, if you want any, any shirt nicer than smart casual, it's like we give you no size indication other than the neck. Because apparently <laughs> the thickness of your neck directly correlates to the length of your body. See, women want pockets. Men want this. I just want someone to tell me how big my neck is. It will <laughs> open up the world of high fashion to me. <laughs> it's the only thing making me look like this, Luke. The only thing. <laughs> I like the idea that in like more like high end shops, when people like us walk in, the people um, the people who work there are just like, oh, he has no idea how thick his neck is. He's he is so out of his depth. 
last last week he was in here. He asked for a twenty three. A twenty three. <laughs> what is he? Uh, a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, Eddie's storming around with his his shirt hanging out of his trousers. Maybe he just got the size wrong because he doesn't know how big his neck is. We don't know. Um, <laughs> He um, shows Maka into the lesson that uh, Davina was doing. He immediately steps in, starts talking about being from New Zealand and um, tramples all over the lesson that Davina was carrying out. Yeah, so this New Zealand teacher, who, by the way, has the worst New Zealand accent in all of human history. <laughs> um, he's I, 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 haven't in... checked. I, was say, I haven't checked. Do we know if the actor's from New Zealand or not? <laughs> I... I did a bit of checking. I couldn't figure it out on his Twitter bio. Fair play to the guy. He's still out there. Um, <laughs> on his Twitter bio, he's like a producer. He's not really an actor. Um, it says he's from London. So it might just be that he lives in London, but he says he's an Arsenal fan from London. So he could also be New Zealand. People move. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> not, that's what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is even if he is from New Zealand, this doesn't sound like a New Zealander. <laughs> It maybe it's like Joe when like we meet Americans and they go, why don't you sound like the Queen? Yeah, <laughs> we're like, why don't you sound like Taika Waititi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our frame of reference is if you aren't a character from what we do in the shadows, I do not believe you are from New Zealand. Um, and yeah, he's just brought in to teach New Zealand studies apparently. Well, that's what he just... seems to think he's there for. And I also have a question that. The two girls, I forget their names every time, so forgive me. The two girls who are basically high, they were brought in with Carla. Oh, uh, Alicia and Danielle. Alicia and Danielle. Last series, it was established that these girls were the ones who would get good grades. Yeah. So they were, their parents were paid by Jack to come into the school so they would raise the standards. Now they're doing a lesson with Bolton and Paul and the rest of the fight club. How is this? They made, a, they made a big deal last series of Paul being moved out of the skills group and into the main stream. Mm-hmm. But that just seems to have... <laughs> and, and I have another point about this, is Carla does not leave this classroom all day. No, I've, I've got many, many notes about how poor Carla is in this one classroom all day as the kids around her all change. Yeah, but like <laughs> she, it's like, it's one of those things, the show needs her to have reactions to this yeah. teacher at all the times, but they can't, like, there's no logical reason for that to happen. He's a supply teacher for one teacher, yet during the day he's like, I'm teaching history, PSHE, and it's all just New Zealand studies. Um <laughs> And in it, Carla must be present at all times. Yeah. Um, so uh, we get two very, very brief scenes. Uh, Fleur has showed up at the school. Uh, she's organising a surprise party for Grantley with Steph. Security Dave is obviously poking his nose in a bit because he's been told that Steph and Grantley have a good affair. Um, if Steph knew that she and Fleur were organising a party, surely she would have put some sort of contingency in place. Knowing that this, she was going to have to pass security, Dave. This storyline is so <laughs> annoying. It's, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> it's so horrific. It's just, oh, it's like it's a thing that we said. Like me and my other half talk, me and my other half talk about this a lot in a lot of TV shows, which is if characters took five minutes to talk to one another, eighty yeah. percent of the conflict 
in TV shows would dissipate. It, that's it, it would all disappear. And you can kind of get it in like action shows where it's all kind of fast moving or whatever. But in this, it's not even that it takes five minutes. It would take eight seconds for um, Steph to say the line, I pretended that I was having the affair with Brantley so he wouldn't ask me out. Yes. That's it. That neuters the whole plot. But at no point does anyone say that throughout this whole episode. And it's just maddening. Everyone feels roughly the same about Security Dave, that he's a bit weird. If Steph said to them, I've said this to him, they would all play along. And like, but like, Grantley doesn't know how he's got into the situation, but he then doubles down, like, Fleur, you're mad. Like, what are you doing, Grantley? Like, and then Steph just kind of goes on, like, <laughs> I can't, I can't even fathom what's happened here. Yes, you can, Steph. Good God. Yeah, so that's all going oh. on in the background. Um, Mel is cleaning up after the food fight mess um, to the song Mercy by Duffy. Um, while that's all going, there's a, a horrible, I only mention this because of a line Eddie says, which is there's something sexy about a woman in marigolds. And that, oh, it's, uh, and we're going to get to 1950s sexism in a minute, but. <laughs> you know what? There isn't anything sexy about all the no. marigolds. I'm gonna say, and like, let's not discriminate here. There's nothing sexy about anybody in marigolds. No. Marigolds are gross. Marigolds are go on in exceptional circumstances because what you're about to do is so gross. Marigolds are exclusively for mainly plug hole and toilet cleaning. That's why they make them yellow, so you could never have any other reason to wear them. You don't go, oh, I think I'll put my yellow gloves on today. <laughs> really get the men going. <laughs> What Eddie means to say is, there's something sexy about a woman in marigolds if she's wearing nothing else. Nothing else. In that moment, then you can go, oh yeah. <laughs> yes, Eddie, what you're saying makes sense in the context of a naked woman who's you're not going to be looking at her hands. <laughs> that line just annoyed me so much. And the fact that they're just verbally copulating. It's Although, like... <laughs> right, in all fairness, if I was in a situation with a woman in which she was naked. <laughs> Just pause. <laughs> in which she was naked and she put on marigolds. My first thought would not be, oh, sexy. It would be, what are you worried about? <laughs> like, my oh. self-esteem is not high as it is. <laughs> I don't even know how yeah. big my neck is. If you're gonna... <laughs> I think the greatest trick advertising has ever played is the marigold company somehow convincing us of the line that there's something sexy about anybody in marigolds <laughs> yeah um, we've spent too long on necks and marigolds we need to move on <laughs> um, <laughs> um so in the classroom uh maca is basically just allowing the lads to make homophobic comments um davina pulls him up on it after the lesson um Maka makes some strange comment about how homophobia is endemic in cultures all over the world. Um, and Davina says something like, oh, it might be like that where you come from, but here um, we don't do that. And he alludes to the fact that she's, she's made a, a racist comment. I don't know at what point I can go in on this storyline. No. Well, let's keep moving because we'll be able to criticise it later. At this point, it feels wrong to criticise it because it is just someone spotlighting unconscious racism <laughs> yeah like she he says it's endemic in all cultures she goes but it isn't here maybe where you're from sure but it isn't here but no and there are cultures there are cultures that are more na like homophobic 
if if she had said, but it's not endemic here, full stop, that would have been fine. It's the fact she suggests all oh, your culture is probably one of those one of those places where you could get away with that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's all going on. Um, Maka goes to Rachel, um, tells her that Davina has been guilty of subtle racism. Um, Davina has a rant to Tom about Maka and then just suggests they buy the house. She really segues very quickly. I'm so angry I have to buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> Davina has really been hollowed out as a character this series mm. now that she's just settled in a relationship with Tom. Yeah. Especially, yeah, because this, ep- this episode is nominally, she's like the central story. But yeah, there's still like nothing. Yeah, you could like actually, you know, start making this about her wanting to become a teacher and something like that. It's moved on from all of her relationship stuff. So it's now like, I want to be a teacher and I'm going to make this work. But instead, they just, it's this strange It, it feels like they just had nothing for her this series. Like from that first episode where there's no fallout for the fact she almost died in the fire. Yeah. Like that clearly shows where that character is positioned this series. But there's just nothing for her to do. Um, so Security Dave divulges to Fleur that he believes Stefan Grantley to be having an affair. Fleur goes off to Steph's classroom, um, yells at her in the classroom. Um, it's all very dramatic, all very so- uh, soapy. Calls her a floozy and gives her a big slap across the face. Yeah, Steph is just like dumbfounded by all of these chickens that have come home to roost. Yes. But like, as you said earlier, uh, how did Steph not think that this would could happen? Yeah. This this security Dave, who's been a little bit too into her, she's faked an affair, and then the woman, she's like, I... Yeah. Um, Rachel organises one of her summits um, with Davina uh, and Maka. Uh, Rachel eventually decides that it's all a basic misunderstanding, her words, not mine. Um, Davina sort of apologises they do a handshake and then as Maka leaves Rachel basically just tells Davina to be careful and to keep an eye out don't don't say any more racist things Davina (laughs) I just couldn't follow this at all the show doesn't at this point the show does not know because it wants Maka is the bad guy at the end of this episode Maka is the bad guy in this scene he has a point, like you say, about you know where you're from, etc. Yeah. That that could be you know interpreted as subtle racism, as he explains. But in this scene, they don't know how to pitch it when the outcome is that Mac is the bad guy. Yeah. So he everything he's saying sounds forced and strained, or with meant to sympathise with Davina's incredulousness. So the whole scene, I couldn't follow it at all. I had no idea what was going on in the story and who was. Whose side were we supposed to be on? What were we supposed to be learning about anything here? It was just so muddled that I was like, what is happening? I can't even follow his justifications for why he's saying this because Mm. the show is already telling me that he's a bad guy, but he's not making a bad guy point. He's doing it in a bad guy way because Davina's telling us it is. It just doesn't make sense. It, it, It plays, I don't know if it plays funnier now, now that we're more alive to things like subtle racism. Whereas maybe at the time you'd have gone, oh, he's just making a bit much out of this because he's an arrogant bad guy and yeah, Paul yeah. Davina did nothing wrong. Whereas now we're inclined to go, well, actually, subtle racism is a dangerous and insidious thing that we should call out when we see it. 
that's that's the problem that like it can't the whole storyline kind of dies at this point because it can't connect itself with the fact that he's a bad guy but this thing isn't a bad guy thing yeah i i think the whole episode makes it stress that minorities will call racism when they want to annoy people yes that's the that's the perspective of this episode when it's the quote unquote (laughs) playing the race card thing yeah when actually you know in the same way that davina was saying to him like you know there was a homophobic comment you should call it out call him out for that he could accept that and also say by the way you say my culture is could also be seen as like it's one of those things it's like an open conversation but actually it's just both of these people then end up being evil but the show doesn't know which one is yeah back in ridiculous land um fleur bursts into grantley's classroom um the kids all hear the fact she accuses him of having an affair with steph um grantley runs after her and does this sort of slapstick run down the corridor which is very unusual um they do have a conversation in one of the classrooms um, Grantley says he thought Fleur was having an affair at one point and that that's why he got the wig to make himself look younger and more attractive for her um, and uh, Fleur goes all on about how Grantley could have done better if he wanted to have an affair um, and it sort of for a minute seems like they're going to reconcile and then it all just blows up again yeah they remember they've got a full 45 minutes of the episode left. there's a whole there's like a five minute conversation there where the, the situation could have been explained <laughs> But does Grantley, I'm not sure, because I can't follow this. Grantley doesn't know that Steph's told this lie yet. No, I don't think so. But all it needed was Steph to tell him at some point in the intervening, at least week, we assume, between episodes. But no, these things don't happen. Um, they immediately cut back to Macca's classroom where he's literally doing the hacker. Um, it takes about five or six minutes for us to realise it's a history class. The thing, like... In an episode that starts with a conversation about subtle racism, the writers have no pause for thought over the fact that they have a teacher from New Zealand, uh, you know, a, a um, native teacher of New Zealand doing the hacker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like. And it's at this point that they really make uh, make his sort of villainy unambiguous because uh, Carla challenges him saying, I've been in this class all day. And you've, taught, <laughs> you've taught nothing from the syllabus. Um, she says, uh, Maori culture is not on the syllabus. Um, he yells at her that it should be. Um, Davina tries to intervene and explain why Carla's kind of uh, interrupting him in this way. Uh, Maka kind of shuts her down. Um, Carla's getting visibly agitated. So Davina tries to kind of step in and help Carla out. Um, and then Maka just says that she, he doesn't want Davina uh, in his lessons anymore. How does he get hired? Like, they're supposed to have references. Like, he, he hasn't just one day gone, right, I've got a course to go to Waterloo Road. I go, I'm going to go off peace and I'm going to go talk about Maori culture all day. He must do this at all of his supply schools. Yeah, the thing is, like, I don't know if it was the same for you, but supply teachers would often go a little bit off piste because they know that the class isn't going to stay totally on task if they've done supply teaching before. So they might do something a bit different. And so you can imagine if he was doing the odd lesson at various schools that he might say, well, it's a history lesson, so I'll do an hour on Maori culture instead. They'll learn something. And it means that I might be able to keep them on task by showing them some things they won't have seen before. But the problem is when he's teaching one student for six hours. 
yeah like I, I like so why teachers would but they'd often just like because your te- your regular teachers had a method with which was how they would teach mm. and supply teachers would come in they'd go right i'll do this i'll do the set list um the set list the <laughs> lesson plan um <laughs> End with the big torch song. <laughs> Get them dancing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll do the lesson plan, but I'll I'll throw a bit of interactivity into it. That's usually yeah. what they do. They don't go right. Lesson plan. After that, <laughs> I'm gonna just you you kids sit back and relax. I'm gonna do the hacker. Oh yeah, so that's all going on. Um, Earl gets his phone out in uh, Tom's lesson, and he's you know he's antagonizing Tom. Uh, and then he gets thrown out of the class. He's wandering around. Maxine gets a text from him. She's going to go and meet him. They have a conversation, Maxine and Janice, where Maxine says, oh, I don't really know where I, ha- where I am with him. And that makes it exciting. I don't, it's, at this point, we're sort of understanding why Maxine's with Earl, but it's taken a while to get there. And I don't know that the show's done as much work as it should have done. Yeah, it's all a bit of a, mystery and then like Janice kind of gives her a barb which is like uh he clicks his fingers and you come running and she goes I know right and it's just like it's quite like funny (laughs) I I know right I've completely robbed of agency (laughs) (laughs) it's just like I know it's mad I have no decisions (laughs) in any of this yeah I think it it, it helps that um that uh Ellie Pascal who plays Maxine is is fabulous and and is really good and you know I've I've talked about her a number of times because I do think she's brilliant in this show um, and so I think she's doing a lot of the the heavy lifting that the script isn't doing here. Um, so Earl is like kissing Maxine up against the door. It's all a bit a odd. swing a swinging door. Rookie mistake. Door. Very rookie, rookie mistake. mistake. What that, is this? Only got, fools and horses. Yeah, that's got slapstick around <laughs> all over it. Um, uh, yeah, she says that she loves him. They go off to the bathrooms. Um, Tom goes to track Earl down and, and finds him and Maxine in the toilets. It's 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 sofas and toilets. That's their wheelhouse and swingy doors. <laughs> so Macca uh, decides he's going to lodge an official complaint against Davina. Uh, he calls her obstructive. Um, so that's all going on. Um, Mel also at this point tells Rachel that she's seeing Eddie, which is kind of played as a surprise to Rachel, but she saw them together at the pub. Which is the, like they've the been together. Episode. But they say they've been together for a week, and the pub was a few time a few weeks before that right. as well. So this is just it's all yeah, mm. it's I, I don't really understand that. And um and then it's one of those things. She then talks to Rachel about her and Eddie having sex. Yeah, very odd. And it's that kind of classic thing, which is like, I don't know about you, but I just assume that everyone over 40 doesn't. <laughs> it's like, it's that thing that young people like to push out of their minds, which is like, no, no, no. <laughs> they don't do that. And when she's there describing Eddie as this like animal, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I don't need that. Um, yeah, so that's all going on. There's a scene between Rob, the PE guy, and Jasmine, which is one of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen in my life. I get I get such a bad vibe from Rob. And I don't know. I don't know if it's a vibe that the show understands or if it's a, something we now understand in 2020. Yeah, just like toxic man. Yeah, he's got he's a toxic man. And I don't know if that was... 
I don't know if that's where the show's going, if truth be told. Um, I hope it is, because he deserves comeuppance for the pretty loathsome I, things he's saying. I think I remember where his storyline goes. From Ooh. I think end of series four was something that I watched. So <laughs> when it was on TV. So I think I know where it goes. I'll yeah, tell so you if I'm correct when we get there. <laughs> but what happens here is uh, he makes a crack to Jasmine about how girls football is just oh a bit of fun. And they don't need the field because he's playing on it with the boys. Um, make some comment about cheerleading. Um, that will pay off later and we will get to it then. Um, <laughs> uh, Rachel wants to uh, go and wants to speak to Davina. Uh, but Tom says that she needs to sort out whatever Earl's doing. Um, that's all going on. Um, At some point, Tom says the line, I'm not Clark Kent, I can't see through toilet doors. Is that Superman's most famous power? There wasn't a $200 million movie where Superman just went around investigating crimes that happened exclusively <laughs> behind toilet doors. <laughs> That's a much lower stakes movie. <laughs> it's just it's just so odd that he goes, I'm not Clark Kent, whereas he could have said, I can't see through walls. Yeah, Both are true. <laughs> he knew Lex Luthor's poo schedule. <laughs> To the letter. Um, That's a new wrinkle to it. That is actually, you know, some <laughs> of the uh, some of the powers of the more extreme superheroes. You kind of think, well, if you take that to its logical conclusion, you know, Superman has watched everyone in um, what is it? Is it Metropolis? Yeah, yeah, he's watched everyone in Metropolis. Poo. We uh, at this point get my favourite line of the episode. Um, Steph and Tom are talking about Earl, and Steph says the immortal words, and I quote. I'm not having Maxine hooking up with another dead leg. <laughs> What's a dead leg? I don't... I, I don't know, but I know I don't want to be one. <laughs> <laughs> Who was she hooked up with before? Oh, sorry. Lewis Seddon. I... Lewis Seddon. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I know the guy before that, he kind of looked a lot like Earl, didn't he? The guy she hooked up with before <laughs> that. He used to give her drugs in cars on the side of the road. I wonder whatever happened to that guy. Um, Rachel sits down with uh, Davina, um, says that she should speak to Grantley about sorting out her union and, and seeing what's going on there. Um, that Rachel says she's just following procedure, but because an official complaint has been made, she needs to look into it seriously. The, the thing is about this is, like, you know, all accusations of everything should be taken seriously. But the way this school works, so it's, it's the way that Jack's, Jack used to run the school, so maybe I'm just kind of like beholden to that idea. But this supply teacher has been in for less than half a day and has already accused the teacher of being a racist and then lodged a formal complaint based on something else. Whereas Davina, who has been here for a couple of years, is not believed at all. So you know Davina, you know her character. When she says, this is what is happening, not what he's saying, they go... Sorry, Davina, there's nothing that we can do. We just have to side with this person. Yeah, but, we but don't this is know. Actually, this is actually speaks to my problem with the whole thing, which is that they they do just believe Davina. They're just having they have to follow the procedure because there's been an official complaint. It seems to me they do just believe Davina. Well, actually, they probably shouldn't believe her that easily. All of this is like they could just go into the classroom and ask and like ask Carla. She's yeah. been there for hours. <laughs> go ask Carla. You know, Carla, you what happened in it? to the seat? How has this? How has this happened? We'll deal with that later. Now, what's been happening with these two? 
uh, Grantley at this point has got a text from Fleur saying that she's changed the locks and don't bother coming home. Uh, and this means that he lashes out at Davina when she approaches him about uh, the union. But Grantley's a union man. It, yeah. takes, it takes something to... But the plot requires no one to listen to Davina. Because um, mm-hmm. she then tries to tell Tom, but um, Tom's going off with Steph to take on Rose Kelly for some reason. We see Rachel in her office. She's upset about Eddie. Uh, and, and so she, in very sort of soapy fashion, is sort of, uh, you know, thinking about her, her burn on her chest. And so she calls her plastic surgeon and arranges to, to meet about possibly getting a graft. We then get one of the best scenes of the episode, uh, which is Steph and Tom going to see Rose Kelly. Uh, Tom goes into Tom, Tom goes into the house because the, they're having a valuation done for the sale. Um, Steph, meanwhile, goes to Rose's door. Um, Tom's trying to explain the living situation to the valuer, going, "I don't own the house. My not quite daughter, but sort of daughter." <laughs> and the valuer husband. handles that so well. He's just like, oh, yeah, uh, I've lived here a couple of years. Don't own it, though. The daughter of my girlfriend owns it, who died. And the valuer just goes, okay. He just takes that in just, his stride. Yeah. We've spent four series of this trying to get our head around that. And the valuer is just like, yep, okay. So meanwhile, at, at the other door, um, Rose and Steph are having a conversation. Um, Steph's basically saying, oh, I don't want Earl and Maxine, you know, hooking up and all of that. Uh, Rose is defensive and Rose says the words don't tell me you've never had your ass up against a bog wall <laughs> and we know because we do know it. <laughs> we do know don't she need knows. to be Clark Kent to know about that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly second episode <laughs> the thing like one thing again just the weird writing in this episode Steph then fakes an interest in Tom's house so she can give a jibe about the woman living yeah. next door. She's just like, I, I wouldn't live here because of you or whatever. She just fakes like, if I was going to look and sell, like she just pretends that she was going, I was considering moving over there. But now that I know that you're living next door, I won't even consider it. It's like, you weren't considering moving over there. And let's face it, Rose is not a person who's hurt by your accusations of not wanting to buy property <laughs> near her. That doesn't bother Rose. No. So this whole kind of thing you've con- confected here just makes no sense. And so Earl is now in Macca's classroom. Um, with Carla. With How old is any of these children? Carla is supposed to be in sick form. Why isn't she allowed to leave? Oh my God. This is going to be a recurring thing over this series, I feel, because I'm already finding my, almost every time they cut to a classroom, I find myself wondering why various people are in a classroom together. Um, yeah, so you can't. We're, we're going to talk about this a lot in this series. It's like in series three, they made a, a, a concerted effort to make more of the children recurring characters. They yes. wanted a bigger group of recurring characters, children, which is fine. But you can't then give them all backstories, give them all ages and characteristics, and then completely debunk them when the script demands they all be in the same place for them to say different things. Because half of the time all of these kids are together, it doesn't make sense why they're together. Absolutely. Um, so Earl is causing problems in Macca's classroom. So Macca just kind of gives him a, a, a banal job to do that he knows he's going to not do, just to get him out of the classroom. We see uh, the show remembers that Michaela exists, so there's a bit mean. Um, so mm-hmm. she makes a comment to Davina about how everyone's calling her racist, um, and everyone knows she was horrible to Macca. 
Earl has decided to go to Tom's office um, rather than do his job. Um, he makes some comments about Izzy and Davina. Uh, he says about, is it true what they say about Davina, that she likes them young? Tom throws Earl up against a wall and kind of almost punches him. Uh, and Earl seems to revel in this. Uh, I expected Jack Grimmer to burst through the window <laughs> and be like, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say? Someone alluded to Brett Aspinall. <laughs> And then they just cut to Brett in the doorway, just like shrugging and walking out. Brett flaming Aspinall. Yeah. I would have loved to see a Jack Rimmer Earl Kelly face off. Oh yeah, he wouldn't, have, feels, he wouldn't have stopped. Yeah, they're really like, they're trying to do that, that dynamic. Because do you remember briefly, they tried to make Eddie into Jack? Yes. And now they're trying to make Tom, Tom into Tom. Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Was it like, one thing I noticed about this is when Tom really yells... Him and Earl touch noses. <laughs> I, I think that gives the, it gives the whole scene a totally new energy. <laughs> Suddenly they're doing Eskimo kisses. <laughs> um, so Davina sees that there's chaos going on in Macca's classroom because he's just letting the kids run riot. Um, she goes to get Eddie. Uh, Eddie sort of Pied Piper style rounds up all the wandering children. <laughs> he's been living for this moment as yeah. Eddie. Eddie has been wandering the halls for two, a series and a bit now, desperate for the time when he can just go, right, here are all of my children I can round up. So he then, he challenges Maka um, about what's going on. Um, and it becomes clear at this point that Maka's not doing his job properly. And at that point, everything against Davina vanishes. <laughs> but then, even then, Eddie just goes... To, to him when Macca's just like, oh, I'm just doing this, doing this, doing this. And Eddie just goes, sure, this will fix itself. Yeah. I, at this point, wrote that Carla seems to be fading in and out of that classroom, depending on the scene. Macca says that all the kids here are brainless and they're bullies and that he wouldn't come back if you begged me. And that's it. That's the end of that storyline. The racism doesn't matter because he is, quote unquote, a bad person. Oh, it just doesn't. And you can't racially abuse bad people, apparently. No, it's just so bad. It doesn't make sense. It's so annoying to watch. It's it's the thing that's most annoying is that they take such a valid issue, and they just use it as like a a a, a, a bargaining chip to make Davina look bad on his part. He's like he's a bad person, so obviously he's going to accuse racism when she was being unconsciously racist. Like yeah. not not to the point she should lose her job. But to the point that he should have quietly said to her. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's about it's around sensitivities and cultures and you're not yeah. allowed to say your people or your culture or yeah. your thing. It's, you know, it's saying, you know, you may have experienced, you may have been to places where there's lots of homophobia, but here we don't allow it. That's the kind of thing you're allowed to say. You're not, she can't say what she did and the way she said it, but the show just invalidates that because this teacher's clearly just a madman. Yeah. Um, but the other thing as well is, what is this for? What is this? What is that plot for other than to bring in an ethnic minority character who cries racism and the show goes, you're ridiculous, please bugger off. He's not even in for the whole hour. They're, like, they just brought him in. He behaves like that for half an hour and then he's gone. And it doesn't change any storylines and advance any storylines. It doesn't reflect anything about Davina who gets away with anything Scott Free, she doesn't learn anything about it. Yeah, then so things start to turn for, for Tom then. His day starts to get a bit better. Uh, Tom and Davina decide they're going to buy Chloe and Dante out and, and own the house. Um, 
Eddie has concocted this bizarre arrangement where Tom is still head of pastoral care, but he is because he's he was trying to resign from pastoral care because of the Kellys. And so Tom is now head of pastoral care, but not for the Kellys because Eddie is dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, like it's just so weird when Tom's like, I want to resign. And Rachel's like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt for the pastoral care role. It's like, he's just said he will discriminate yes. against a whole family. <laughs> yes. For, for personal reasons, he will not do his job for a group of children who clearly, upon everybody there, most need a pastoral care yes. <laughs> teacher. And he and then she's like, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. No, no, no. He has just he has just invalidated his job for everybody. Like it's just any child who pisses him off, he's just like, no, no, I can't do that for them. <laughs> so we saw a scene earlier where the girls were getting ready for their football training. Jasmine came in and said, We haven't got the pitch because uh uh Mr. Mr. Cleaver has booked it for the boys. Uh he thinks you shouldn't play football and you should be cheerleaders. And all the girls go. Yeah, like bring it on. We like cheerleaders. And then the yeah, payoff man. is the boys go out to play football and the girls are all out there doing cheerleading. And do you know what? This episode started with a lesson about stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. Uh, like, it's just ridiculous. A man says, girls aren't interested in this. They prefer this. They then feed that back to the girls. And the girl goes, yeah, yeah, he's right. <laughs> what? This, like, girls' football team was a big element of, yeah, but like, I, series three. I think it's partly for that reason that they've done this. Because otherwise, we'll all be going, well, where's the girls', fo- girls football team? That was a big thing in the last series. What have you done with it? And they don't care about it anymore. They want it gone. Mika was a big thing in the last series. And they just got rid of her. They haven't even mentioned her in the discussions of selling the property she half owns. <laughs> oh, Brett was a big thing in the last series. He's just disappeared. They can just quietly, quietly do away with the girls' football team without making it like a big payoff that they gave in and started cheerleading instead. In an episode that started about stereotype. So we see Fleur turn up at the school with a, uh, a box of Grantley stuff. Uh, says, oh, I hope she's worth it, blah, blah, blah. Um, Steph and Maxine are then uh, walking back home. Steph's telling Maxine about how Earl is trouble, at which point Maxine asks, is it true you're shagging Mr. Budgeon? I love the word shagging on TV. It's good, isn't it? There's like a free song when you hear someone say the word shagging. It's it's an exciting word. It is. Maybe it's just because it was like the word of our, I don't know what the kids say to, maybe they just say intercourse now, I don't know, they Kids today seem a bit more enlightened than we were. But, like, yeah, the word shag is always a word that we use every day. Yeah, we had had shag shag and snog, didn't we? I hate the word. We've been over this. Yeah, we have. We have been over this. I hate the word snog. Maybe it's just because I read a lot of Harry Potter, and in Harry Potter they were snogging all the time. (laughs) Snogging was a 90s word. We had shagging. (laughs) We moved up in the world. Goodness maybe. knows what they've got now. Something maybe, about marigolds, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> maybe boomers were right about our generation when we <laughs> elevated from the word snogging to shagging. There's a bizarre scene where Rachel meets her surgeon at the school. Don't know why they've arranged to meet at the school. Why would he, why would he do that? At, at the end of the scene, the doctor says, maybe should I, I should have arranged this for my surgery. <laughs> yes, you absolutely should have arranged 
it was a medical consultation. You should absolutely be doing that at your surgery. Why have you driven to her school? Um, but yeah, Mel, for some reason, I don't know why, just assumes that Rachel's dating the surgeon. <laughs> and then says to Eddie, that's a woman in love. <laughs> no, it's a woman who looks terrified at the obvious comic misunderstanding happening in front of her. <laughs> Um, the surgeon then says, "Oh, I need to, I need to remain professional with you. We should have done this at the surgery." Um, just to wrap things up, uh, there is now a um, a dead pigeon on Tom's doorstep, um, which he assumes is to do with Earl. Uh, and Maxine is sneaking out of Steph's to see Earl, and we get "Sweet About Me" by Gabriella Chilney to end the episode, which I thought was quite a good song choice. Yeah, it's all right, because I like the right. song. And frankly, at the end of this episode. I was happy to smile at something at the end. <laughs> I like my last note, right, was God, that was abysmal, a properly dreadful hour of television. <laughs> Do you remember when they did a feature length opening episode and we came out of that and went, actually, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think and it carries on to the next one. I think I'm tired of the Earl the Psychopath stuff. You see, I'm not I quite like that. I just, it just sort of feels like there's a refusal to pull the trigger on him actually doing anything. They need, yeah, it's because in, in episode week, one, they pulled that trigger immediately. He's a psycho. He's got a gun at school. He's sold out his little brother. Yeah, and now it's just bubbling. It's just bubbling yeah. and not going anywhere. And it's like, at some point, you need to do something with this character yeah. rather than just have him as this chaotic energy that roams around the school. Because yeah. at least, you know, like Seddon had an arc. Yeah. He was a bad kid who got worse and worse and worse, then did the bad the big bad thing, got forced out, and then he came back because his arc was that he got progressively worse the longer it went on. Yeah. And whereas Earl just started at what's the most serious thing we've seen? It's a kid bring a gun into the school in episode one. And okay. Where is there to go from that? There's nowhere to go. You have to start either addressing the underlying things that make Earl this way, or you have to make him go big. But right now, it's every episode is just, it's more of the Earl Kelly show. And I don't think uh, the rest of the show has kind of been dragged into the black hole around it. They don't seem to know what to do outside of the Earl Kelly stuff. Without saying anything, there is a reason why the show is so about Earl Kelly, because there is a, there is stuff coming for Earl Kelly. But at this point, it does seem like they started so high. That's the thing. You have to have a progression. If you start at the top, you can't then pull it down and expect us to still be engaged. Yeah. It's because like, we've, seen, like, where, we've seen where he will go. So you've now got him like farting around, annoying Tom a bit, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, but 30 minutes into this episode, I just went, Earl's brother's in prison. Yeah. And we've all just forgotten that happened, haven't we? Yeah. There was there was no sign of hero amongst men, Marley Kelly. Oh, just... <laughs> can't believe it. One thing that did annoy me is in the previously on, they had the governor slash police officer slash Flick's dad, like, do, isn't it sad that we have to have this to protect the kids scene with the door scanners and everything? And we get absolutely no payoff to that. He's no. not on the episode. There's no story about the scanners anywhere. No. There's no like risk brought into the school through that way. And I was like, why is this happening? No. And uh, yeah, you know, after we, 
we've been not particularly positive about this episode. Next week's episode contains falconry, bolted boxing, and speed dating at the school. That's it. <laughs> That's what the next time trailer tells us. This show has so many ups and downs because we're recording this on the day where the episode that just came out, we said the next time trailer has a baby buried in the school yes. gardens. <laughs> and this one has a bird and some speed dating. Where am I? What, are, what am I doing? What is life anymore? Uh, Waterloo Road, do you have a play out song in mind? Oh God, the funeral march. <laughs> I like the idea of um, cutting directly from your misery into Sweet About Me. Well, if there's something to be learned. <laughs> would you yeah, rather get your channel words in first? Oh, God, you really knew that song. That's I did. Really I'll tell you something that I found. The world's a better place when it's upside down. I know all the words to that song. It's a great song. Now we need to play it out, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's just we've just already done it emotionlessly reading the lyrics. <laughs>